Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Nice to have you listening for episode 67. Shortly we'll be introducing David Woodbridge, although he's probably someone who to this audience needs no introduction. We spoke with David on Mushroom FM's live global call-in show, a cover at the Mosens, and we took quite a few calls as well. And we're playing an abridged version of that two-hour show in this week's edition of The Blind Side. It's a fascinating discussion. Really enjoyed talking with David. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you about Mushroom FM's Top 100 Countdown. This is for the holidays, and it's become a Mushroom FM tradition, where at this time every year, we invite you to vote for your Top 10 Holiday Songs that you feel at the moment. I mean, I can't remember what I voted for in 2016, but I'm pretty confident my votes in 2017 will be a little bit different. Now, we've made voting really easy. You go to mushroomfm.com slash countdown2017. That's mushroomfm.com slash countdown2017. And you vote number one for your most preferred song, you know, just like a regular chart. Number 10, for the song that just makes it into your top 10 list. There's a series of combo boxes, one for each position on the chart, and you're welcome to select a song from that combo boxes. I think there are around 350 tracks in there now. Or you can just write in the song that you would like to vote for in the edit box provided. So either use the combo box or the edit box, fill in that top 10, give us your details, And join us when we count them down. We have this wonderful kind of gathering at the end of the year, every year on Mushroom FM. This year it's on the 17th of December from 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. That's 2 p.m. in the U.K. all the way through for 10 hours. And we get together on Twitter. We have a lot of banter, a lot of fun. Everyone is assigned a seat at one of our tables named after the first four reindeer in Twas the Night Before Christmas. So that's Dasher, Dancer, Prancer and Vixen. So you'll get a seat at that table. And people who participate and just have a lot of fun, they get what we call Christmas crackers. I know Christmas crackers aren't very common in the States. They're a big part of Christmas here. And whoever gets the most Christmas crackers at the end of the day in terms of the table gets bragging rights for 2017. It really is a lot of fun. So why not give us your vote? mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2017 vote for your top 10 Christmas songs it is going to be a lot of fun just a reminder also that we have two more episodes of the blind side for 2017 left and then as is my tradition as is the tradition for many people in this part of the world of course it's Christmas time and it's also summertime I'll be taking a glorious month-long break. Mosin Consulting will be closing its doors for the month. Obviously, the store will continue to be open and take your orders, but any projects that people want us to undertake, anything like that, we will um, file those emails until we get back on the 22nd of January. Boy, am I looking forward to that. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. We're going to talk technology today and not just technology but also somebody who's helped many of us make sense of a lot of technology he's a prolific podcaster he's also an instructor helps people out and i suppose he has been most widely known for his podcasts on apple but he does a lot more 
than that, especially of late. And he's just across the ditch from us. And our guest today is David Woodbridge. Welcome, David. Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me. Tell me a bit about you yourself, David, because we've heard you on so many podcasts, but I don't really know much about your story. Have you always been a blind person? No, I really lost my sight when I was about eight because I was those, one of those unfortunate preemie babies back in the late 60s that got stuck in a crib for about six to seven weeks. Mm. Of course, when they shoved all the oxygen in to try and keep me alive, all the oxygen also started to destroy the blood vessels in my retina. So when I got home and over the next probably couple of years, they thought I was intellectually impaired because I kept running into things because uh, my sight was deteriorating. And then by the time I was eight, I ended up having to go to a blind school. And here in Australia, in Sydney, it was North Rock's Devon Blind Children's Centre. And that's when I started learning Braille. And I think I completely lost my sight when I was 22, because I used to, when I was from that 16 onwards, I used to race 16-foot skiffs on Sydney Harbour. Wow. And I remember seeing, seeing the sails in the sun, and, you know, the water, and the sun and the water and all that sort of stuff. So... I think roughly when I was about 22, but between those particular times, you know, I went to a special school, uh, got integrated into a mainstream school, went to Sydney Uni, did a social work degree because people said I didn't have the aptitude for technology. So I did a humanities type course, social work, and then did a four-year stint for drug and alcohol crisis counselling and then decided I had enough of that. So I got offered a job at then the old Royal Blind Society of New South Wales in Sydney, and I've basically been there ever since for the last, what is it now, 27 years, basically playing, training, assessing and recommending technology for low low vision, blind people and everybody else that wants to interact with me. So it's, you know, it's been quite a fun almost three decades of talking about technology, but I'd love to go back to the original person that said, oh, no, look, you can't, Mm -hmm. you don't have an attitude for technology and go, look what I've just been doing for the last three decades, mate. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to when you were eight, Mm -hmm. when you were diagnosed, as it were, as uh, someone with a vision impairment, was that a relief for you that somebody finally worked out what the issue was or was that transition, going to a school for the blind, all of that upheaval, was, was that a bit difficult? I think it was a relief to me when I was eight because up until that point, nobody really understood what was wrong with me. Um, I mean, I'd, I had been going to, you know, have my eyes checked and everything else, and they just kept giving me more and more glasses to wear. But I guess going to boarding school it was a bit of a shock because I, it was boarding school. So I was 400 kilometers away from home, and I was there for, what was it, about 10 years. So I actually felt quite lonely. You know, it was, you know, the typical boarding school bullying happening and, you know, I loved the school, but I absolutely hated the actual boarding part of the, the school. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I really, really hated when I was there was this teacher said that, um, you know, besides learning bra, we had to learn how to type on an old manual typewriter. Hmm. I can remember thinking, I don't know why I have to do this because I can't see what I'm typing out on a piece of paper. What's the point? I'm learning to do something when I can't read back the results. And, um, I mean, now looking back, I think, oh, wasn't it lucky that I got taught how to touch type? But mm-hmm. back in those days, I just, you know, you'd, you'd write up your assignment in print so the visiting teacher could read it. But at the end of the day, you had no idea whether it actually worked or if you had any spelling mistakes or anything else. So, yeah, it was a bit of a disaster, really. Yes. And I suppose that all of us 
on this program, I think we're very privileged in some ways because we remember what it was like before this technology came along, and yet we can still appreciate it and embrace it and understand it when it comes along. But I think it gives us a sense of gratitude that might not exist for those who don't remember when this technology wasn't around. Oh, absolutely. Look, I can remember the we had in the library, we had an Encyclopedia Britannica, and I can remember that. <laughs> About 200 volumes. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. yeah, a whole wall. So somebody would say, okay, we're studying Wales today, and you think, God, what what row on the big bookshelf is W on? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now it's, you know, the encyclopedias in our smartphones. So mm-hmm. just back then, or I can remember at high school and even um, primary school when I went to mainstream school, you know, the teacher would always say, well, here's your reading, but if you really want to improve yourselves, you can do this other recommended reading, and I could never do it because by that stage, you know, the stuff hadn't been put into alternative format or I hadn't had somebody read the book to me, and it was just really irritating, and I kept thinking life shouldn't be this restrictive just because I can't see something. Um, I really shouldn't be having such a hard time and being able to actually either you know, communicate effectively and writing things down or be able to read stuff. And it, it wasn't until I actually hit university that I could actually start doing a little bit more. But I could just remember going through school and think, this is really, really frustrating, guys. Yes. And technology is a far cry from the uh, drug and alcohol counselling work that you initially did. You know, I know it's a bit of a stereotype, but Australians love their drink. That must have been a very interesting, <laughs> <laughs> interesting job. Well, it's one. Of, it was funny looking back on it now. I because we we did like we did lots of campaigns. So we did like um, benzodiazepines, some monotranquilizers. We did marijuana. We did domestic violence and drugs, and we did lots of other things. And I can remember sitting back there then and thinking, looking back now and think, what the hell does a twenty-two-year-old social worker know about domestic violence, or what does he know about how hard it is to cope with stress? And that's the reason why you may want to take drugs to cope. We kept getting told at university, oh, no, look, you don't have to experience all the experiences to understand emotions and thoughts and that sort of stuff. And I thought, but my God, it certainly helps having some life experience behind you because you'd be sitting there talking to a lady who's 44 years old, husband beats her up, he's an alcoholic, she's on drugs, she can't cope with her children, and you're almost thinking, well, it's no freaking wonder why you take drugs and everything else because I wouldn't be able to cope either. But um, So I, I'd almost wish that I hadn't done that straight away. I wish I would have had at least, you know, maybe four or five years, a little bit of life behind me before I did that. But I can remember about my third or fourth year, I had a couple of people actually die on me. They, they committed suicide. And I just thought, I really don't know if this is actually the type of stuff that I want to actually deal with on a personal level as well as a professional level. So I then asked somebody, you know, because in some ways back then too, the technology wasn't there well enough to be able to support computer access properly. And somebody said, well, rather than getting into a computer job as such, why don't you go and see if you can, and I can't remember what we called it back then, but an assistive technology job for training blind or low vision people how to use technology. Uh, because part of my job when I worked for the drug and alcohol service was that I had to access a database and I can still remember ringing up then the Royal Blind Society and say, look, I've got to access this database of referrals and agencies, you know, detox units and rehab units. And the first thing that came out of the guy's mouth was, well, sorry, no, it can't be done. And anytime somebody says that to me, it's like, well, of course it can be done because you just haven't thought about it. 
and I can remember accessing then an old Apple IIe running some software back in those days, which was called ProTerm, which was a terminal software. And all I had to do was trick the PDP-11, which was a little mini mainframe, into thinking that my Apple IIe was a printer. And then I could then dump all the actual database out of the mini mainframe onto the Apple IIe, do a little bit of smart editing with a little WordPress I had called ProWord, and then I could search for all the rehab and agency stuff. And every time they updated it, I just would just do a new printout and have the same file that everybody else had. So I remember bringing back the person and I said, well, maybe next time rather than saying no to somebody, particularly when they're in the job, um, why why not just add, add to the fact and say, well, I don't know, but I can look it up for you. And I said, next time you get a question about accessing mainframes or mini computers, have a think about an Apple IIe terminal software and a bit of thinking in the background and Bob's your uncle and the person can keep their job. <laughs> was that your first piece of technology, the Apple IIe? It was my first computer. Looking back on it now, it's one of those things you think, how the hell did I actually even manage to use that software? Because it was so restrictive at the time. I think my first real, I guess my, well, I suppose we can call the Perkins Barlow technology. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are. That was my official. I used to always refer to it as the knee breaker because you kept running into people in school and banging yes. their knees. Get out, my, get out of my way. In the 70s, I, I was lucky enough to have a bit of a play and, and use for a while the sonic glasses, the ones that um, you wore them when it emitted a beam and it came back and you could tell you what different services you were looking at and how far things were away from you. And then I think in the early 80s when I was also doing my social work degree, I went and did one year of a computer science degree at Macquarie University. And I can remember using this computer with what was then called the Votrack synthesizer because I still oh. remember it because it said error seven. Yes, and the other thing is if you put naughty words into that, <laughs> it would actually say beep, I think, or, or say something. It would, it would actually not let you pronounce certain naughty words. And that was the no. voice that was on a lot of the, um, I believe, in Atlanta, it was on the air tram, the airport trains. Yeah, very, oh, wow. very synthetic sounding. Wow. Well, it was really funny because I remember when I first got the Apple IIe, it always kept saying unclone error. Yeah, yes, that's right. Was that with the echo synthesizer? Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, and I kept asking people, what's this frigging unclone error? They go, it's, yeah. it's unknown. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you only had two speeds with that echo, and I think it was Control E E got you into the slow one, and Control E C got you into the fast one. Did you use a Versa Braille in those days? I did use a Versa Braille. Yep. Yeah. I, so we we had that piece of kit set up uh, too. We had a, a Versa Braille connected to an Apple two E, and it was on I don't know a COM port. So you had to type PR hash three and then return, and then IN hash three and then return, and then you would be able to do input and output from the Versa Braille, which was pretty remarkable, you know, and and uh, store all your data on the standard C sixty cassette. And it would sound like the thing was going to shutter itself to pieces every time it loaded something. Oh, yeah, I know. I, when I went through um, university from 82 to 86, I think I had a whole wall of C60 and C90 cassettes, the four-track, because back in those days, I think it was APH, uh, the GE four-track tape recorder, where you could also record at slow speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It almost go for a whole day, one, of a, a whole day recording just one day when you went to uni. So... 
But I remember when I finished, I just thought, what am I going to do with these, you know, roughly over a 1,000 cassette tapes? Because I had them all nicely labelled and everything else. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to go back and listen to my lectures and church ever again. So what did you do with them? I think I threw them out. <laughs> yeah, <fair enough. laughs> did you ever have professors that didn't want you to record in class because they were writing a book and they were afraid you were going to sell the no, info? No, the only thing that happened to me once, I, we had to go and get a power, um, a boat license once because we had when we were in sailing club, we had a, a power boat for you know doing rescues and that sort of stuff. We got stuck. And um, I can remember trying to tape it and then the guy said, I'm not letting you do this because you're going to copyright my stuff. And I thought, oh, all right, Mr. A, don't worry about it. So, um, but no, I, but I can remember playing tricks on some of my lecturers. Like I, mem- I remember one day, you know how they yell out in the lecture theatre, can anybody, everybody see the board okay? And I yelled out, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, he actually moved the projector and he went, oi, is that you, Woodbridge? And I went, yeah, sorry, I just I couldn't resist it. You did ask. <laughs> I answered you. <laughs> and it's like you right, they give blind people a bad name. <laughs> there, there you go. You see, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're the, you're to blame for that. Well, so th- there are a lot of Apple little floppy disks, and they really were floppy in those early days of the five and a quarter floppy disks. I mean, they were very floppy and bendable, and you could put data on both sides of the disk. But um, gosh, I'm I'm thinking of all the games that we used to have. Yeah, you know, there was a version of Lemonade Stand, and there was Ad Libs and Oregon oh, my- Trail. That's it. My favourite game was the Emon. Was it Emon? Emon Adventures. Don't know if I remember that, that one. It's one of those sort of dungeon games that mm. you had to fight monsters, and you know, if you got killed, you had to start from the beginning again. And I, I can remember when you when you because back in those days, when you loaded a program, you had to switch floppy disks all the time because yes. half the programs couldn't fit on more than one floppy disk. And uh, I can remember it loading, and it was always exciting to hear the thing load in in bit by bit with a really noisy floppy drive, and then it would say welcome to email adventures and it would say welcome you know welcome dungeon hunter and it's like it's because these days you just run it and it comes up straight away it's, there's no you know there's no anticipation yeah, no. Fanfare. <laughs> no, it's fanfare it's like oh come on can we just have a little bit of you know wait time to get really excited and but no but i, I was really funny because i remember when i got my first was the apple ii i think i had was it 128 no 64k and then i got one of those memory boards the ram boards inside it then I went from a five and a quarter drive to two dual five and a quarter drives. Then I got a 3.5 inch floppy drive. And then when I actually hit the XT, the old IBM XT range, um, we've got old Arctic Business Vision. Yes. Uh, I was very excited when I got a 10 megabyte hard drive. Dude, my first one was a 20 megabyte one, but I oh. started with a very similar path there. Very similar. But, but I, I think one of the biggest wow moments for me in those days was mm. when Braille edit. I mean, those guys at Raise.Computing, what they were able to do with the limited power of the Apple IIe was stunning. And I remember mm. going from Braille edits and getting that expansion board you talked about. So I think it went up to a, a whole 128K of of memory and we had the two floppies and then they came up with this thing called bex braille edit express uh, uh, yes, yes and yes. then what bex could do is if you had the expansion board in your apple IIe, it would load the whole program and so instead of pushing e for edit and waiting for the floppy disk to do its whirring thing because you had to have one floppy drive with bex in it and the other mm. floppy drive to store data on another disk but 
when Bex could ro- load into RAM, you'd push E for edit or whatever the command was, and whoosh, it was there. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is absolutely incredible that we can do this. I have a confession to make. I, when I got, uh, there was another program that had all these sort of built-in applications. It was called Workstation. And you had like an info database. You had a context database, a document one. And I can remember just for the sake of it, I actually put in the whole Australian postcode into the info database <laughs> just because I could then look up the postcode whenever I wanted. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and I, I think that Bonnie actually still – do you have your Apple II – was it a 2E that you had? I had a 2C. 2C? Yeah, with 2C. Now, yeah. what was the difference between the 2E and the 2C? I think the C was commercial and the E was educational, if oh, I remember really? correctly. I mean, I may be – dead wrong but i believe that's what the at person uh told me that c was the commercial model and e was educational and you've still got it at home haven't you we're not sure where it is because if that thing boots up still you might have quite an antique you might be able to pay for this jolly kitchen yeah (laughs) i'm not sure where that thing is i wish i knew because it would be fun to boot it up and well there is this apple 2 emulator i take it you've played with that i love the apple 2 emulator yeah i day i just told my little boys to go away leave me alone yes that he has now has to go back at 30 years time and i have to play with sort of my real computer and my son said but you're using your, your macbook pro touch bar thing and i went yeah 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 but this is just as true talking computers back in the day where you know computers were computers and blah 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 and um yeah it was, it was real fun i loved it Still yeah love it. did you have the cricket speech synthesizer no, I didn't. I at one stage I was thinking about getting. I think it was called the Slot Blaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one stage, but no, I just I just played around with the uh, the Echo for quite a long time. But when I got the XT machine, I also started. That's when I started running a bulletin board because when I was transitioning from the Apple IIe to the XT, XT machine, I can't remember the name of the terminal program. It wasn't ProTerm. I think it was called Procon. Might have been Procon. Procon. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was Telex as well, and. Uh... Oh. Am I imagining, was there one called Transcend at some stage? Oh, possibly. <laughs> there are a whole yeah. bunch of those things. <laughs> I know. But I can remember the, the joy of logging into, I mean, over here in Australia, it was called the Apana network. It was just a lot of Unix systems that you could log into and then you could run Pine for mail and links for the web and sort of Dungeon Dragon type stuff and everything else. And um, I just think, isn't this fantastic? Me being able to use a talking computer to log into some other system. Yes. Um mainstream and nobody knows that I'm using speech. It was absolutely fantastic. Yes. I remember getting my first modem of my own in 1986 and logging on to the local FIDO bulletin board, you know, because it was FIDONET in those days. And um, you you could send an email to someone on the other side of the world, but it would take two days to get there and it would involve a whole bunch of dial-up modems sort of passing the packet from one place to another. What bulletin board software did you go for? I originally was doing... I know the name of my bulletin board was called Home Computing for some odd reason. GT Power. Oh, that now that was an Australian creation, wasn't it? I think it was actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. It was really good. I think and it, it was. Used FIDO, and it uses the FIDO net, and I I used to hate. Originally, I hated it setting it up because you had to make sure that the the routing table went to the right nodes that you were. Yes, that's right. I still you remember know, like, that my FIDO net node was three colon seven seven two fifty. Oh, dear. 
That's very sad. <laughs> yeah, it is that sad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I tried them all because I was always a fiddler with software. So I did run GT for a while. Um, there was a guy who you may know. Uh, I think he looked after the – because GT, they, they had FidoNet, but they also had their own um, alternative to FidoNet that GT – bulletin boards could also use and there was a guy i'm pretty sure his name was john delator or something like that because it's such an unusual name i remember it and he was based in sydney and oh he, no i didn't know him he was a lovely guy yeah, yeah yeah but but he got a bit annoyed with me because i'd used gt for a while and then it was time for me to move on so i moved on to i think pc board i ran a pc board which was an amazing uh, yeah and uh RBBS, I think I ran, and Wildcat, and oh, I was changing them all the time. Oh, oh, I love Wildcat. Yeah. Wildcat was brilliant. I, I remember going from GT Power to Wildcat, and because yeah. everybody paid me, I thought, no, this is just spectacular, lovely, beautiful software. Because <laughs> at that stage, oh, we're aren't we? I think at that stage, too, I think I was using Master Touch for DOS. Yes. That was a very good package because it was one of those ones that found a way of circumventing apps that wrote directly to the screen and didn't use BIOS. So it spoke a lot more than a lot of other uh, screen readers for DOS did. It yeah. did. And I remember that stage I was using, uh, was it PC Anywhere? Yeah. Uh, remote machine, machines using Master Touch. And we, I also had the, the Master Touch, what was it called? The tablet? You know, the external. Yes, that was pretty innovative for its time, wasn't it? Touch yeah. tablet. Yeah. Running your finger across the line and finding out where the cursor was, and yeah. viewing text. I thought, "Oh, wow! This is this is computing at its best." Being able to do that so quickly. Um, when you think about was, it, it was sort of thirty years ahead of its time. It was, yeah. I yeah. mean, it was. I mean, I, I almost wouldn't mind if my iPad or my iPhone could even do that now with you know voiceover on the Mac or another screen reader on Windows. I mean, that'd be pretty spectacular, yeah. really. Let's go to talk to Chris now. Hi, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Super well, mate. Super well. Especially for a blind it's guy. A... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. You guys are all talking about technology that's like older than I am. It's been really uh, interesting listening to all this stuff. Yeah, well, we are but, very uh... ancient now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are just so ancient. <laughs> the only thing that I used that was really, well, I had probably one of the first boil lights that was, I think it was back in 90, oh, probably 93 or 94. Yeah. Did, how about you, David? Did you use a Braille light? I actually, had, I had Braille and Speak, a Braille and Speak, speak 640, a Braille light, and a Type and Speak. Yeah. You had a Type and Speak oh, wow. and a Braille, a Braille Braille and Speak, and then the Type and Speak, and then the Braille and Speak 2000. It's funny. The Braille and Speaks didn't really make a huge impact down here because we had alternatives like the Pulse Data products, and there was the Eureka as well, which came out of Australia from a company called Robotron. Mm. Yeah, that was. I, I can remember that. I was. I could never work out though. Why would the Eureka have a voltmeter in it? Yeah, it, it had some interest. A voltmeter, music composer, all sorts of interest. Yeah. It had a very interesting synthesizer. I believe it was the first female speech synthesizer I ever heard. Yeah, it's probably one of the most disgusting synthesizers I've ever heard. Actually. <laughs> it, was, it was certainly an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like. I mean, in actual fact, if I still had my Braille and Speak today or my Braille Light, I'd probably even still use it as a good note taker because that's what I liked about it. You could just switch it on, jump, just jot a few notes down, turn it off, and off you go. So, no, I mean, yes. looking back at technology, both the Braille Light and the Braille and Speak were sort of my one of my favourite types of note takers. I think they were the most robust I think ever made. 
Well, everything was in RAM, you see, yeah. so it was it was very quick, and it just did what it did well. Yeah. And they were the first ones, I think, to really, I mean, that I know of anyway. I'm sure there were ones before, but I think they were the first ones that really took off. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, as far as broad devices go, I mean, there was also back then the old classic, um, it was called the T-1000. And I actually went down to uh, Blazy Engineering because we we didn't live that far from from Maryland. We were we were in Pennsylvania, and we were only a couple hours away. And I we actually went down there a couple of times, a couple of blind kids from our area, and they were they were the nicest, you know, before they got bought out and merged and all that kind of stuff. So they were they were some of the nicest people, uh, you know. I don't remember who I met. I think it was Tom, and I think I might have met. Can't remember if I ever met any of the actual Blazy. People. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the other thing I had from um, Blazy Two was the their Blazy Embosser, the thirty two. The Blazer, yeah, yeah. That that was that was fantastic. I mean, just a nice little portable embosser that you could take anywhere you liked in the old single and parallel port days. We had a Versa point at school, and I thought it was really interesting that it would boil out all its uh, settings and things. I don't know if you. Could, I don't even think it had a speech synthesizer in it. Hey, that thing was loud, though. Holy cow. <laughs> we could only boil at certain times of the day because we were right next to a classroom and they told no, us we couldn't. That's interesting. Yeah. You you talking about loud devices reminds me. Another thing we had alongside the VersaBraille and the Apple IIe, we also had a Kremner modified Perkins. I'm not sure if oh, anyone here yes. remember. Oh, you remember those? I had those? one of those. Yeah. When my first job I had one, that thing was loud. It looked like a it player was, piano. It was very loud, and it had a totally different kind of feel to it when you brailled because they weren't – yeah, the keys didn't go all the way down like a Perkins, but you could also oh, use right. it as an embosser, so you could connect it and print out documents oh, using wow. Braille Edit. Yeah. That's mm. interesting. I never heard – the only thing I ever – so modified boiler was really a, a boiling print. That wasn't really modified. Now that was an Australian thing. That was wasn't that Quantum yeah, who did that, David? Quantum. In actual fact, I had to do my stats for how many clients I saw and that sort of stuff during the week when I was working at the hospital for drug and alcohol. And that's how I did my um, stats for the week. I got my Perkins out, whacked it on the Brada print because it had little metal springs underneath it that connected with the key rods under each of the keys. And as you brailed out, it um, and you hit the enter key, it actually brought out that line of text out to the printer. That was really amazing technology at the time, the, the late 80s. It was great. Yes, it was. Do you remember the Mountbatten brailler? Yeah, it's actually still around, believe it or not. Is it? Is it? <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, it is still around. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, they're still quite expensive. I mean, the, the new one can actually do music composition now. Mm-mm. It's called the Mountbatten LS as a learning system. And it's got built-in speech. And what's really cool about that one now is that you can use an app called MB Mimic on your iPhone or Android device, and you can actually emboss to the mount button from your iPhone or Android device. Oh, that's cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes it very beautiful. So it's a – the other thing I just like about the mount button, or I still like about the mount button, is a side of person or a side of parent and so on, you can plug in a standard QWERTY keyboard start typing, and you've got a Braille copy of the document that comes out on the mount button. And if you plug in a little screen called the Mimic, you can also see what you're, you're brailing in on the mount button. So it's a really versatile device. I, I still like it. Hi, Michael. Hey there, Jonathan. Yeah, oh, what, what a show. It actually seems very interesting. It's interesting actually hearing you guys talk about the old technology and I have never – just be really honest with you. I have never heard some of that technology you guys are talking about at all. Never even heard of it. No, well, I'm not surprised. 
we're considerably <laughs> older than you are. Well, all, all right, all right. Then once you're not surprised, then that's fine. Yeah, I kind of um, wish I'd been born twenty years later. It'd been nice. Do yeah. you? I don't. I, I think it was oh, a really dear. great pioneering time to grow up with all that technology just coming through. And I think on some levels, it it taught us to be more self sufficient. Maybe. Well, I guess it did. I mean, just the way you guys are describing some of that technology is just awesome. I, I really like the idea of it. It's retro, man. It's retro. It'll come back in again. Probably. You, you wait. So, so just like vinyls come back, and apparently there's a bit of oh, a yeah. resurgence of cassette tapes, you wait. In the next year, <laughs> five and a quarter inch floppies will be the in thing. Uh, I have a drawer of very nice 3.5 inch floppy disks that I use for uh, coffee cup placement holder things. Because <laughs> <laughs> I get that, put them on the table, and people go, what's that? And it's like, it's a floppy disk. And they go, it's not floppy, it's rigid. It's like, no, inside the plastic, there's a floppy magnetic disk. And they go, what's that for? And it's like, oh, we used to put them in the computers? <laughs> when? when punch cards were around or something yeah. in 1970. Yeah. <laughs> Did you show them? Did you show them the floppy disk? I, I did. I, I, I've, actually, I've actually got one that's a, I've actually pulled it apart. Um, so I said, this is a little floppy disk. And yes, we, that's, a, that's actually a smaller version. We had a five and a quarter inch one. So it just makes a good talking point because I, I just got so sick and tired of it. I kept losing my um, my coffee things for the table. So, yeah, this is a nice little talking point. People go, oh, you're a bit weird, aren't you? <laughs> what, so you so what, you're saying you just put a, put the coffee thing on top of the floppy disk? Or, or? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, a I coaster. Mean, I'm never going to use Yeah, that's it, a coaster. That, that, that's the word I was looking for. Um, but, yeah, because I just thought I'm never going to use them again and they were just sitting around the house doing nothing. Although I must admit... I've still got a prime set of four 3.5-inch discs that Jaws originally came on. Oh, yeah, the discettes, yeah. That's not getting used as coffee coasters. That's safely in its own little plastic package that I put it back in. And that's because I, I originally started using Jaws for Windows 1.0 from the word go. And, um, no, this is so – this, what, what was Jaws like in those days? Just out of curiosity, I mean, what was it like? Because, I mean – I hear a lot about it, you know, being really good from 3.0 and stuff, but what was it like? It actually blew the socks off other screen readers at the time. Yes, at the yes time it we did. Had, like, we had WinVision, Window Bridge. We had a blasted one called ProVision. Pro, ProTalk, I think. That's it, ProTalk, which yeah. changed the interface. Yeah, that, both, both ProTalk and Window Bridge were from Canada, and yeah. I think – Window Bridge might have been first. There's a, a blind guy called David Kostashin who developed that. And uh, I don't know about you, David, but I remember spending far too much money dialing into bulletin boards. In my case, it was Willie Wilson's Blink Link bulletin board in Pennsylvania. And I would right. download Whoops. the latest copy of um, Window Bridge or whatever it was. But I remember being really concerned, and, and you may well have been as well, that you know, we, we were starting to make some real gains. Computers were starting to do genuinely useful things. By that stage, we had things like WordPerfect, and we were doing right. quite seriously grunty word processing. You could mm. you could write a book with WordPerfect if you knew what yeah. you were doing. And then all of a sudden, oh, crazy. yeah, Windows started to come along, and it yeah. felt like things were slipping away. And even when I used tools like window bridge innovative as it was it still made me concerned that we were never going to have the ease of use and when i remember i'll never forget the first day i used jaws for windows i think it was at a blindness convention i went to uh, on a scholarship and when i got my hands on jaws i just thought thank god everything's going to be okay 
you right. know, you know, it was just but, such a massive difference. And the commands have pretty much stayed standard over the years, if I remember correctly, absolutely. from 3.0. Yeah. I mean, one thing that, that, that I like looking back on stuff, and people forget this sort of stuff from a, a, an overall point of view, the time when Windows 3.0 to 3.1 came out and the time we had a screen reader for it was roughly about 15 to 18 months. Mm. But ever since that time, the amount of time it takes <sighs> Technology companies to actually produce a version for the new version of Windows is almost now down to zero. Wow. Right around. So when we went to XP, what was it, 95, XP, Vista? It was 95, XP, Vista, then 7, then. Um, yeah, well, you, you forgot Millennium. You've got 98 as well. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, 98. 98 yeah, yeah, whoops. Yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it took a while for us to get access to Windows 95. Um, yeah. And and that's the kind of catch up because in those days, really, screen reader developers were hacking into unorthodox ways of getting at what was on the screen. There was no officially supported oh, wow. way of doing it. It wasn't no. until Microsoft Active Accessibility came along, really, that Microsoft sort of formally acknowledged the existence of screen readers. I mean, they knew they were around, but there wasn't any sort of formal support within the operating system for them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. We had drawers with the software synthesizer. Or was it back in 3.2 when it came on CD, I think? Yeah, um, it must been about then, yeah. So yeah. That was the, the time I think, wow, software synthesizers, mind you, as an Apple person, I went, well, we've had software synthesizers sound chip in the Mac since 1990, guys, but very primitive, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we still had it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, all the all the external synthesizers that you had to use, one thing that I know doesn't exist today and I wish it still did, remember the Arctic Transport when it had the screen reader built into it? And you could yes. actually do a commerce thing from back to your serial port. You could actually download the screen reader off your external synthesizer onto a computer. Do you know the other yeah. thing that they had that, that hasn't been replicated, I don't think, was a little thing called the Speakalyzer. I don't know if you remember the Speakalyzer, David, but the, the unique thing about that was somehow they had a way of letting you access your DOS machine's BIOS. So getting into the BIOS was always a tricky thing. David, your involvement in Apple, you, I guess, retained some sort of loyalty to Apple, right? In the, in the sense that a lot of us kind of yeah. just drifted away from Apple for a long time, really until the iPhone. Maybe some people came back when VoiceOver yeah. came to the Mac because the Apple just became inaccessible to most people, I think. Yes, those were the dark ages. Yes, I can remember when we because we, back in the early nineties we had we had outspoken for the Mac that worked from system seven six point oh seven and up to I think version eight, and then when nine hit, and then when ten originally hit, when they changed it over to you know the Mac operating system rather than the system versions. Between eight and ten, the only way you could use a, a Mac. Was large print, so close view or other built-in screen magnification, which there was only other, one other one. So it wasn't until 10.4 Tiger on the Mac, which was in 2004, that we had speech. And that was a, a bit grim because, I mean, I really enjoyed my SE and all that sort of stuff. So there was about a, I can't remember now, about maybe a five or seven-year gap where I couldn't use a Mac anymore. And the only reason I got back into a Mac in the beginning was in about 2004, a client rang up the then Royal Blind Society, we hadn't quite transitioned to Vision Australia, and he wanted training on the Mac. And I thought, my God, I haven't I haven't actually played with the Mac now for God knows how long. 
I think I spent 100 hours um, training myself on how to use the Mac again from a voiceover point of view. And from that time on, I just started using the Mac more and more because back in those early days of well, so mid-2000s, I kept – the only thing about Windows to me is that while you've got really good screen readers now, particularly drawers on top of the hill, you do have situations sometimes where you lose speech and if you're not very careful, you do need to get side assistance to get it back or you have your charming partner who can't stand the sound talking. So rather than unloading the screen reader, they actually mute it. Uh, so it's very hard to work out what the hell's going on. So I think, so I'd say ever since 2005 and particularly 2009, that's when I really started, you know, going whole over to the Apple. And I've had, you know, here at home at the moment, um, I'm sitting on a table with one, two, three, four, five Macs on it. In our other study, we've got um, three Macs in there, and the whole house is just riddled with iPhones and iPads. How do you feel about? The progression of Apple, because I detect that you might not be as happy as you once were. I decided to bow out. The touch bar was the last straw for me because mm. I enjoyed having the ability to run Windows and Mac OS on the same device. And once you start getting into the touch bar, that's quite difficult. You've also, I think, expressed a little bit of skepticism about the iPhone 10. Are you concerned about Apple's trajectory? Yeah, look, I, I think I am. I mean, I mean, the part of the problem is, and it's like everything, I have put so much money into the Apple environment. Yeah. That it would be horrendously expensive. I mean, I've got around about at the moment, I think just on roughly about 3,000 apps off the App Store. I've got a, about 1,000 iBooks, all the Macs we've got, all the iPhones and everything else. So from a, that point of view, I'm heavily invested. But I think when things started going downhill for me a little bit was we lost the headphone jack. And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I can sort of cope with the Bluetooth headset after that bit. Then Apple then got rid of the function keys. And I can still remember Phil Schiller's silly statement, nobody uses function keys anymore mm. than people used to use on the old 3270 mainframes. And I thought, spoken like a mouse user, mate. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, so that irritated me. And then... You know, they've got rid of But the wasn't he button. also the one who said that they were brave for taking the headphone jack away? I mean, what sort of nonsense is this? <laughs> I know, that was just that was just absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely so, sp- stupid spin. Yeah, and, and the fact is I picked up my wife's. We just got the iPhone 10 this morning here. It's my um, it's Ellen's one, my wife's. And the first thing I thought about, I thought, this feels like an Android phone. This is, does not feel like an iPhone anymore. <laughs> and I know you were talking about this in your Blindside podcast too, was the fact that, You've got so many of these angled gestures, and I was starting to think, what's it like training somebody on the gestures for control center notifications or the app switch or your home function? But you've got to say to somebody, drag your finger up the screen, wait, activate that particular function, say for the home function, or you go up further up and that'll bring up your app switch. Now, I know some people that have even trouble with some of the really basic gestures of voiceover on the iPhone, and I just start thinking that's going to be an issue. And then we've got the fragmentation starting to happen. So if you've got an iPhone 10, you use voiceover or the iPhone in a certain way. If you've got an iPhone 8, you use it in a different way. <laughs> God help an iPad, you use it differently as well. So- I, 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 am, I am laughing with some frustration because I'm at the moment producing a very, very long set of modules for people who've never used an iPhone before. 
And oh my goodness, it just just it's so complicated now because you have to say, look, if you have an iPhone with a home button, you do it this way. And uh, if you have an iPhone without one, you've got to do it this way. If you have an iPhone actually before Touch ID, you might have to do it a different way again. Uh, so it is starting to get very complex. But you're right. I mean, that's why I was so excited about finding the Samsung and how well developed their screen reader was, because I'm just not willing to give talkback another look until they get with multi-touch. I, I find the angular gestures, you know, from, from a, well, from my personal point of view, I can't get them reliably correct. I can get them right some of the time, but I don't understand what I've done that sometimes that I'm not doing mm. the other times when I can't get it to work. And so I find it difficult to train people with it. And yet Sam's mm. yeah, the voice assistant really makes Android look at least a lot more viable. Oh, it's lovely. I mean, I've got a, I've got a Samsung tablet sitting on top of my three and a half thousand dollars. He says quickly coffee machine, um, because that <laughs> is fully accessible driving the coffee machine, and I just love using voice assistant. I mean, it really is a nice screen because you can literally, you know, flick through the um, the the controls, and go straight to the notification center, whatever you want to do with it. So, you know, it is really good. The other thing um, I find hard with Apple at the moment is their keyboards are awful. Um, the new whatever it is, the butterfly mechanism yes. keyboards on the new MacBook Pro touch bar and the new Magic Keyboards and so on, when I'm doing serious typing, I always go back to either my MacBook Air from 2013 or my MacBook Pro from 2013 because it's just a much nicer keyboard yes. to type on. I don't know what they were thinking because that Apple Mac, that older Apple Mac keyboard was one of the most beautiful things I've ever oh. typed yeah, on. it is. When I left the Mac world and I got my new laptop with some, well, it's about a year old now, with the built-in LTE, which is something I use all the time, just being able to switch on built-in LTE, I thought, you know, why isn't Apple doing this stuff? They've they've got uh, some really cool stuff going on with iPad and the way that they have this um, virtual SIM where you can uh, get a, a plan with a local carrier really easily, and that's wonderful. And for professionals, which is what the MacBook Pro is supposed to be about, I would have thought mm. building an LTE to the MacBook Pro would be far more useful than a touch bar. Oh, look, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I've got a MacBook. I mean, sorry, not a MacBook Pro. I've got an iPad Pro here on my desk, and I, you know, the smart keyboard is good, but I certainly wouldn't use it for serious typing. Um, but I, I like the you know the side by side app switcher on the iPad Pro. It's really great when you, you know, you've got one window open for your Twitter feed. You've got another window open for Safari. Dick when I'm doing my radio program once a week on technology. You know, I have to trawl through God knows how many thousand bits of bits of stuff on the internet just to get sixteen stories per week to talk about. So you know the iPad Pro come, does come in really handy. But I'm almost getting to the stage now where I'm. I'm not panicking, but it's like I just so do not want to go back to Windows or I don't want to go back to Android because I don't want to. I mean, I've really enjoyed using Apple, but I just think, guys, you start to do some things that I don't agree with. There's an opportunity there for these Android devices. I mean, when you look at what the Samsung is doing, they, the, the S8 does have some quite cool innovations, like the ability to set certain locations, like your home, where you can unlock without fuss because it knows your home, which is really neat. And it has very primitive facial recognition compared to what iPhone 10 has, but it has a touch ID as well. I mean, I would have preferred touch ID on the back of the iPhone 10 rather than lose touch ID altogether. No, that's right. I mean, on my Nexus, I've got a Nexus uh, Android phone on the back of that. It's got touch ID. And I think that seems to be the perfect spot for, for a fingerprint sensor because you hold the phone and your finger naturally falls 
on the Touch ID. What we're doing at Vision Australia too now, we're recommending people get the, um, I think it's the Samsung J3 series of phones because that still actually has the home button on it. And a few of the other the Android-style phones still have home buttons on it. So because one thing I've always liked about my, I've got a Samsung Tab, Note Tab. What's nice about that is with Android, I can assign the home button, physical home button to answer a call and the power button to hang up a call. So yes. it's almost like a real old Nokia phone back in the old days where you could physically press a button to answer and press a button to hang up again. It's really, really cool. Yes. Gosh, Samsung even does the old speed dial thing. You remember those from the Symbian days where you can actually hold down, say, the number two and call a number? Samsung actually does that in the <laughs> in the S8. I couldn't believe it. Um, no, yeah. Actually, it was really my, my first, speaking about Nokia, I can remember I was very proud when I got my first Nokia, which was that communicator one with the keyboard, the 9210. Yes. And yeah, I had gosh. Talk. The weird thing was the Symbian part of it talked, but you couldn't use the phone part of it. <laughs> so it was quite, quite bizarre. And I can remember, I mean, I went through all the, the N-series ones and the E-series ones, and but um, I mean, I know now with talkback being gone and everything else, I mean, here in Australia, and if you've, you've probably got it in there, the Capsis Smart Vision 2, which is the new, well, not the new one, but that, that's the Android phone with a touchscreen and a real keyboard. Yeah. Do you think that opens up the smartphone world for people who might be a bit reluctant to use a touchscreen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I've got quite a lot of people that I've spoken on the help desk at Vision Australia about the fact that, you know, they, they want to be able to do things like uh, send messages and they want... GPS and they want an address book and they want all this sort of stuff, but they don't want the touch screen because for one reason or another, they find it really hard. And when you say you can up and down arrow and you've got real keys to press and you've also got a, a button you can press in if you want to use the OK Google bit. So guys, I've just set up everybody's Google Homes. Um, that's really exciting. So we've I probably had lots, oh, I guess maybe this year, maybe, maybe 20 to 25 inquiries about you know, because people say to me, I want a real phone. You go, what do you mean by a real phone? <laughs> oh, I want one of these crappy smart thing things. I can't use those. I want a phone with real buttons. I want to make phone calls. Yes. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, obviously, all of us here don't have too much difficulty using these things. Uh, we're all iPhone users, and, and, and you and I, David, have got Android devices too. But I think we're in a privileged position in that we get to see just how much of a struggle it is for some people. And I do get a bit sad when I see, particularly on social media, people who are quite contemptuous of other people, other blind people's difficulties with using this technology. And I do get quite concerned about the digital divide, both in terms of the cost of this stuff, but also just that some people do really struggle with it. And it's not that they're thick. It's just that some people have a better aptitude for technology than others. No, and it's really funny because I can still remember when I did my first series on the iPhone. This is from the iPhone 3GS days. I can remember I did not do a podcast on the phone function until about the 25th podcast because I suddenly realized, I thought, oh, hang on a minute, this is a telephone. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to play with apps and everything else. I can really talk to people. So that was quite bizarre. So I'll probably do a really, really quick uh, podcast on the iPhone 10 just to keep my website up to date with what's coming out new and so on. But I thought one of the first things I'm going to do with that one is just make, do a phone call because everybody says to me, the help desk, most things that people have trouble with is either making or receiving calls or, God help us, two-finger double tap to hang up or, or answer a call on the iPhone. That seems to be an issue all the time with the iPhone. 
Yes. Well, that's interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah. I must admit, David, I do think the iPhone 10 is really sexy. I, I like my iPhone 10, and um, I'm still at the point where I just love holding it out in front of me and seeing it unlock because it sees my pretty face, and I'm mm. like, oh, dude, this is just too magical. <laughs> the, uh, and hi, Pam. I do believe we have you this time, finally. First of all, this walk down memory lane. David mentioned Transcend. That was, I believe the company was still Bill Grimm uh, software. He had a little mm. modem uh, software mm. program called, which was a modification, had a talking Transcend, I think it was. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I used that for a while. And, um, but, oh, yeah, my first was the Echo 2 mm. before before the iPhone, uh, before the uh, before the Apple, I had the uh, the old Apple II before I got the uh, the PC clone, rather, and uh, that was very interesting. <laughs> and uh, I remember I had friends who were very devoutly <clears throat> Christian, and <clears throat> they would not <clears throat> say any of <clears throat> these words, but boy, they would type in string of words that, that would turn my hair blue <laughs> and, let the, and let the machine say it. I didn't say it. It did. <laughs> yeah, we would, uh, in computer class, I remember we had a student that typed a whole bunch of curse words in because they didn't realize that it was popping up on the screen in print. So the teacher saw it. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I, I still remember I split up with my little teenage girlfriend and, um, I wrote my first ever computer program in BASIC on the Apple IIe, and it was um, 10, print, quote, this is a bad day, quote, and then 20, go to 10. So then I let the program run, and of course, this is a bad day, just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and the, the teachers in the resource room had to pull me out of the class to ask me how to exit this program that had, this is a bad day, scrolling. <laughs> And, of course, there were those words like uh, psoriasis with the uh, PC clone. Uh, you know, a few words, you just, you just wrote them because you knew that the, uh, that the word was going to be woefully mispronounced. Oh, the, those days were fun. Yeah, it was the Apple II Plus. Those were the days. But, and, oh, and a few, a few weeks ago, I was talking with some friends about the old, um, the old Blink. Uh, uh, blink talk and blink blink the old bulletin board days and the old Fidos and I remember when I got first my first uh, braille uh, braille display was, was the Alva 286 mm. and uh, my boyfriend at the time and I would be sitting up mm. trying to download mm. something before uh, 5 a.m. Eastern and all of a sudden we'd get down to and I was in New York at the time and I'd be I'd have my hand on this cursor and it would be like 440 490 458 and uh, the uh, percentages would be lost and then regained and I'd be sitting there go 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 <laughs> why was 5 a.m. important was that when it got more expensive to no, that's when the whole thing shut down and everybody oh, started calling for, for, each other. Yeah, for the maintenance mode, yeah. Um, let's say hi to, ah, uh, here's somebody who's got a whole lot of reminiscences for us, I'm sure. David Goldfield, welcome. I actually agree with you, uh, Jonathan, in, in that I think it's great that we were around at the time that we were around in the 80s and 90s because it really gives you a good appreciation of where we came from 
and I think that one of the things that's happening now, and, and I'm sure all of you have talked about this and, and would agree with it, that I never thought I would see back in the day, is this convergence with mainstream and assistive technology between what Apple's doing and now what we have with Android and, and also with the Amazon products, that, that now mainstream products are assistive technology products. That, that's just really remarkable. To me. I think that's right. I think it is great. But I also think that these companies who are choosing to be assistive technology companies have to be held to account in the same way that we would hold any other assistive technology company to account. They should be able to support their products properly and release them with, well, you know, without really major show-stopping bugs. Oh, that's absolutely correct. And I've read your blog posts about some of your concerns over the years that you've had with Apple. And I think you're absolutely, absolutely correct. And we should hold them accountable just as we would, you know, have issues with a screen reader if they began to break accessibility. That would not be tolerated. And so I think that's absolutely true. I, I was wondering what you guys thought specifically of the speech output in many of the Amazon products, particularly the Fire tablets, and if you think that uh, they're going to become more and more popular in the blindness community, not necessarily because they're the best out there, but because they're not bad and they're also extremely affordable. I, I actually agree. I, mean, I think that the Fire tablets are excellent. I've got an older one, so my Fire tablet is about, oh, geez, I think it's about two years old now. But one of the things that drove me nuts, and I this might be more talkback rather than the built-in speech, but just all the bongs and twangs and everything else it does when it changes focus on the screen, I had to end up turning off the sound effects because it yes. was just crazy. It, it almost felt like it was a harder interface to drive because it was so noisy. And that's when I turned it off, it was fine. But no, I, I mean, the, the cost price of it, the fact that you've got access to all your Android apps if you want to, you've got Audible, Kindle, here at Vision Australia, you've got access to our library with the Android version of our library. So, you know, to get somebody into the tablet market that doesn't want to spend horrendous amounts of money, I think they're fantastic. Yeah, I think, David, you will find if you play with the newer models, with the newer versions of Voice View, that the ear cons are much more tolerable. In fact, it's very similar now to what you hear with the newer versions of TalkBack, where they kind of calmed down those ear cons. And Amazon actually did that first, I think, or maybe around the same time. My, my wife has a Fire tablet. She has full vision, but when I've used it to set it up for her, uh, the ear cons were much more tolerable. And now that she's bought an HD 10, uh, I am now uh, inheriting her older HD 8. So I'll be really immersing myself into the whole Fire OS voice view, you know, uh, mm. operating system. What's yeah, also good about Voice View is that they too have gone substantially multi-touch. Voice View gestures are quite similar in some respects to iOS and, and Windows. It's not that I expect all gesture sets to be exactly the same, but it does seem crazy to me that if you allow a screen reader to customize itself you know, with, with the gesture set, why not allow those devices that do have multi-touch capability to avail themselves of those greater variety of gestures for the screen reader. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I, I also wanted to, to make a really quick comment. Uh, you guys in, it, were talking uh, about a half an hour ago about the early days of Windows screen readers. 
And I don't know if any of you will remember this, and it was not an extremely popular product, and it wasn't out for very long, but Lazy Engineering, where I worked for in the 90s, actually did produce their own Windows screen reader. And while it was not the first out there, it was definitely one of the earlier ones. It might have been, I don't know, maybe the third. And it was called Windows Master. And uh, it was only for Windows 3.1. Never went past that. And once we started carrying JAWS, I think Dean kind of realized, you know, JAWS is even in its early stage. Uh, And I also was a JAWS 1.0 user. I remember the very first version that shipped. And I think they kind of realized, you know, hey, JAWS really has it together and we'll just carry JAWS and Windows Master went away. But it, it was very, it was really funny because I remember working with someone who was writing the documentation for Windows Master. And, you know, nowadays you can go on mailing lists or discussion groups and just, you know, call the nearest blind guy that you know to ask, hey, how do I do this or that in Windows? Back Mm. in 1992, that just generally wasn't the case. You could get lots of DOS help, but there weren't a lot of blind people that were really savvy with Windows, at least that I could easily find. And so we were, you know, struggling with writing the documentation for this and trying to learn all of the Windows paradigms at the same time. It was really quite a time. Actually, it was interesting. Speaking of a screamer, which I almost my first introduction to Windows 3.1. Remember the IBM screen reader for OS 2? I I, I remember it conceptually. I never used it, but I I do know of it. It was was fantastic because I thought at the time, wow, having this keypad that's got multi-layers, so you could do, so down the left-hand side, it had A to D, then it had numeric keypad. So you could do these layered screen readers commands with, you know, A1, B1, and so on. And the fact that it worked beautifully, you could switch between OS 2 and Windows. I just thought, wow, I can use two operating systems at once. Isn't this absolutely brilliant? Mind you, at the time, I didn't hardly use either one of them, really. But it was just a really good conceptual idea because at the time, too, I think we were having a lot of trouble with screen reader magnification with you know Magic and Zoom Text and all the other ones falling over. And I think Telecentury produced one called, uh, the one that said it was Vista. But it had an external. I think you might be right. Had its own, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. It had a graphic card and its own mouse, which meant it left the operating system pretty well much alone, and all its all its magnification was done on its own video board. It was absolutely amazing. I'm going to hold the calls at this point because I did want to talk to you uh, before we go, David, about your gadgets, the, the the things that have really impressed you in 2017, and I know that you've been into smart speakers. Is that figuring big on your list of? Gadgets in 2017. In fact, it's it's at the actually at the top of my list actually. Yeah. Uh, Which one? Google. Google Home or Echo or both? <sighs> both. <laughs> I think the, the the nice the new the there was a software update done recently for the Google Home and the Mini where you can control the bass because one of the things that used to irritate me about the Google Home was it was too bassy when you were listening to spoken word, uh, like on a podcast or a, or a newsreader talking so you can adjust the base frequency now well it seems that you can which which is why i like the google home mini uh, because it's not so basic and you know both of them i mean i tend to use like i said i tend to use the google home and the, and the mini for broadcasting and casting to all my audio devices and everything else around the house the echo really gets used for all its different types of skills that i've currently got activated including you know checking my outlook calendar and so on 
and the Audible and Kindle books because I, it was actually funny. I was talking to a, a person a while ago and I said, oh, you know, perhaps you sort of got to make your mind up if you want to go down the Echo the Echo route or the, the, Google, the Google Home route. And somebody said to me, who says you can't have multiple smart speakers? I mean, there's no harm in getting whatever you like as long as you can use them and, and they work with the stuff that you've already got. Well, you know, one of the things about Sonos is that from the one app, you can access a multiplicity of services. So you can access Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, I mean, on and on and on, tune in all these services from the one app, which is beautifully accessible and they maintain it that way. And Sonos has come out with a speaker called the Sonos One. It has mm -hmm. Alexa support now, but they're also going to include Google uh, Home support. So in that one speaker, you'll have access mm. to both ecosystems. But, you know, I want to press you on this because I'm supposed to be the probing interviewer. <laughs> so, but if if push came to shove yes. and uh, you had to choose between Google Home and Amazon Echo, if someone said you've got to pick one, which one would you pick? The Echo. Really? Why is that? Why is that? Because at the moment, particularly here in Australia, there's a lot more functionality. Mm-hmm. Echo has over the Google Home. I must say one thing that one thing that I, I do use a little bit on the Google Home, which the Echo does not do here in Australia, and it might change next year when it's local, is I can say to Google Home, what's my next bus or train for my current location? And it gives me the current time and how long it's going to take to get to Gosford or Sydney, for example. So that's so that might change when we've you know got official localization of the echo in australia but you know if i had to choose i think i'd i'd still go for the echo overall um it's a great gadget isn't it and it's got personality it's it's yeah. just it's just a really cool gadget we love the uh the echo yeah. ecosystem but interestingly you saying that i heard somebody on a tech show yesterday saying they a side person uh, in the u.s saying they go for google home mm. and that's in the u.s yeah <laughs> Look, the only reason I'm going to get a HomePod next year is because that's part of my job, um, you know, as to keep up with the latest and greatest in technology, and, and mm. I can always claim it back on tax, which is good. Yes, yes, uh, we're in the same position here, of course. Yeah, because well, people go, they go, how can you claim that on tax? And it's like, look at my job description. Yeah, it's a business. Yeah, it is. It's a business expense, and that's the, that's the only reason why I'm getting the uh, you know the new iPhone every year and that sort of stuff. But so, tell me about other gadgets that have caught your attention. Well. Now, you're going to be shocked by this one because I'm a, such an Apple person. You're going to probably be shocked to go to, for me to say that I was very impressed by the Elbrail. No, yeah, well, no, I'm not, I'm not shocked because I'm impressed by it too. I, it, yeah, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a it's a great machine. It is, and look, you know, the fact that you're using standard Windows 10. I mean, you've got the 14 or 40 cell focus Braille display. The fact that you can use it with your iOS or Android device. I mean, it, it really is, you know, a nice device because, I mean, I know the Braille Note Touch has got Android in it, but so often with these custom blindness note takers, you're using its own interface. And if you need sighted assistance, which a lot of people do, then being able to just plug a screen in and use a standard operating system like Windows 10, it makes from a support point of view, particularly in remote areas, so much easier. A couple of things that really just keep me coming back to Elbrow. One is the built-in LTE, which is just, you know, on a device that size to be able to sit in the back of a cab or a bus or something and and have internet access with the built-in LTE is fantastic. The other thing is 
the remote desktop support. For example, I have to maintain Mushroom FM every so often. Some process or system or whatever on Mushroom FM needs to be reset. And I'm able to log in just with a little L Braille on my lap, log in remotely to the Mushroom FM PC, run JAWS in remote desktop mode and get stuff done. I mean, that is incredibly powerful. Oh, God, God, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, to me, that's one of the outstanding ones. The other one that's outstanding for me now is the proliferation of, you know, the Sony Bravia TVs, the Samsung 8, 9,000 TVs, all these new TVs coming out with Android TV or variations of it that have got built-in accessibility. So, you know, as we were saying earlier on, where assistive technology is meeting mainstream or vice versa, the fact that you've now got an accessible television that you can use really opens up a lot for me because I know, I mean, I've got here, I've got Playstations and Xboxes and Apple TVs and DVD burners and everything else linked up to my TV. And the fact that I can change my source independently is a, it, it just sounds so basic that, oh, you know, the fact yeah. that <laughs> um, is amazing rather than having to wait for somebody to go, just press one button. You think, was it that easy? Couldn't yeah. you just pretend? for a little minute that it was hard. Oh, the things we used to memorize, David, the little sequences that we used to have to memorize, and I guess we're just not tolerant of that anymore because we expect better, you know. But we did used to have to memorize all sorts of crazy sequences to do things. The nice thing is too, of course, when you've got that accessible TV and you switch to your Xbox, it's even accessible. It is. And, uh, I mean, I've gone away from the Apple TV a little bit towards the xbox now i mean my boys love the xbox and mm. as a blind i can verify what they're doing on the xbox and monitor their non-multiplayer game access um and a few other little things but it's it, it's the fact that i can walk up to a standard machine it was really funny because somebody rang me up one day and helped them they said i want the accessible version of the xbox and i said well there isn't one and i said i mean it's built in yeah you don't specifically ask for an accessible Xbox, you buy the Xbox and it's built in, ready to go out of the box, which we always used to say about Apple all the time. But, you know, the fact that I've got, you know, an Xbox here, one in here and one in the lounge room, um, it's just amazingly credible to think, you know, maybe even just 10 years ago, none of this stuff existed. Look, we've come a lot, you're right, we've come a long way and we have to keep being vigilant and, you know, people like me will keep bleating on and beating the drum from time to time. <laughs> but but it's also important to, you know, I, I do keep a gratitude journal. I think that's, I think that's really important. And um, w- when I think, for example, of all that we've got with, with audio described content on Netflix and iTunes now and an increasing number of other sources and the fact that we can choose to consume that Netflix content either directly on the accessible TV, with an Apple TV, on Windows, on a tablet. I mean, there are so many ways that we can consume this content now. How far we've come just even in the last decade, it's staggering. I, I mean, it, it is incredible. I mean, I've got so much choice here. My, I mean, I've got a, I do have a Windows 10 laptop in my, in my house. Everything's really all Macs and everything else. But the amount of accessible things I've got in my house, particularly third-party products, I mean, my Ring Video front doorbell, my weather station, my meat thermometer I use when I, when I do it for the barbecue, the barcode readers. It, it's just amazing what third, even not so much the operating system, but all the third-party products you can now get. Like I mentioned briefly a while ago, my, you know, my coffee machine, the $3,500 one, um, I mean, who would have thought that a touchscreen device could be made accessible purely via running an app on your smart device? Yes, 
There better be some good coffee coming out of that machine. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can make yeah. about I, it can make about thirty different types of coffee. Oh goodness! You should open up and your own does, restaurant. It does. It does hot chocolate. It does. Um, you, you can even actually use it for hot water if you really wanted to. <laughs> Rather than using a kettle, I sometimes. It's a bit of a smart A and go, let me just put this machine on so I can pour you a bit of hot water, shall I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well we, we always, even back when I was doing main menu in the sort of a two, 2000, we, we always knew that access to appliances was a very difficult nut to crack. And there were all sorts of ideas about that. But of course, what's happened now is that the, the smartphone, the tablet has become, and even the smart speaker has become the conduit to those devices, which is pretty pretty exciting really so you've got the ring the ring doorbell is that the one you have yes i do yes yeah. that works where somebody rings the bell and it actually sends you a push notification i think is that the one correct yes and you can either talk to the person on audio or video or if you're on the other side of the world because it's all via the internet you can say look i'm really sorry i'm really busy inside uh, i can't come to the door now just come back later or if you've got a parcel leave it on the doorstep um, yeah. My wife uses it all the time because sometimes when she comes home at night time, because it's also got a motion sensor, when the car goes past our front door into our, into our garage, then I know I can you know wander out the door, open up the door for her, and she can bring all the stuff inside. So it really does make life a lot, a lot, a lot easier for me. Yes, we have a security system here that's about seven or eight years old, and I'm in the process of evaluating an upgrade now. We've got an intercom outside and all that sort of stuff, but but it's it's time to upgrade. And I've been looking at some of these options. I mean, some of them even send you a push notification and tell you specifically what kind of thing is outside. Like <laughs> there's a pet outside, there's a human outside, or there's a vehicle pulling up. And that's pretty impressive for a, from a blind person's yeah. point of view. Yeah. And just, I mean, even quickly, just some of the apps. I mean, Find My Friends uh, is amazing. And I know you mentioned the live, whatever it was called, the live 365 or something. But I yes. mean, with the Find My Friends app, when my son started school this year, he got on the wrong bus and I was able to let him to get off the bus and say, wait where you are and mum and dad will come and get you because we could just drive to him on the map. Mm -hmm. And when yeah. I got there, well, weren't you worried that we weren't coming? He went, no, because I got find my friends out of my iPhone and I could see where you were. Yes, it's a, it's wonderful. And some of the blindness-specific apps even. Um, there's just so much good That's stuff going AI. on. And I know that you'll be continuing to be at the forefront of it. And uh, seriously, um, I just want to say myself how much I appreciate all that you give to the blind community uh, selflessly because you've made one heck of a contribution. And I, I hope you'll I will continue to hear you on the podcast and those sorts of things because you do have a – a very a pretty low key knack of explaining stuff to people, and that's a gift to not only have the knowledge, but then to be able to impart that knowledge to somebody else. Yeah, because mm, I really you. found uh, your Mac tutorial helpful. Jonathan uh, clued me into that one when I got my yeah. When my Bonnie Mac. asked me too many questions about her Mac, I said, "Go and listen to David Woodbridge," and it yeah. was really helpful. <laughs> yeah. I, I am probably going to keep going. I mean, I know I whinged and whined earlier this year about stopping at 500, which I've got about 14 to go. But really, I'm having so much fun sharing information that I really don't think I'm going to stop. No, you'd miss it. You'd miss it if you stopped. And we would miss it too, more importantly. Yeah. So keep up the great work. It's been a real pleasure oh. to spend this time with you. Go get a cup of coffee now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.